Well, we're looking today at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. And last week, um, as I think Matthew uh, let on, I celebrated a significant birthday. Uh, It's made me think. I probably have fewer years ahead of me than I have already lived. And if it's true, and it is true, that the, the life seems to go faster the older you get. It's not quite yet the end is nigh, but I was talking with someone who thinks I'm still a mere child. He is a Christian, but he was saying that what I think many people think, but few say. He was saying the aging process gets to me. I don't want to grow old and I don't want to die. Another person was telling me, and this has really all happened in this last week, again last week, about how she had been gripped by the fear of death. And I remember the emotion when, as a 15-year-old, I suddenly realised for the first time that I would have to die. I really did have that sensation which comes when you get bad news, you know, the sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach. The Christian message, however, is a message of astonishing hope to all who are held captive by the fear of death. Our reading from Hebrews, just four verses, but with so much in them, tells how Jesus became exactly like us in our humanity and in our mortality. He became flesh and blood. It tells us that because Jesus became just like us, his death has defeated the devil, so he can set us free from the fear of death and the slavery which it brings, verse 15. His death has given us forgiveness. His death paid the penalty for our sin. The writer of the Hebrews goes into that in some detail later on. And his suffering and death, this is verse 18, was the final temptation He knows what it is like to be tested to the utmost without giving in. And so he can help us when we are tempted. So let's look at this in a bit more detail. Firstly, we are gripped by the fear of death. The devil holds that power. Death, the Bible tells us, is the consequence of sin. Because Adam and Eve reject God, because they disobey God, death comes into the world. And where there is sin, there is death. It's the final consequence of our sin. I mean, if we cut ourselves off from the source of life, we will obviously die. And it is also the divine punishment for our sin. But when the devil gets hold of the idea of death, he uses it to utterly paralyze us. The fear of death, whether conscious or unconscious, is a fear that holds us in its grip. So much of what we do is motivated by our fear of death. The midlife crises, the sex drive, people driving in their partners, people trading in their partners for younger models. Fitness regimes, ageing creams, the denial of age, the marginalisation of people as they grow older. And the fear of death makes us cling on to what we possess or our certificates and titles and achievements because it's all we think we've got to show that we matter. 
It's all that make us who we think we are. And it's the reason that we live such safe, conforming lives. We make this life everything. And I suspect that although this does not loom large in the conscious, conscious psyche of 21st century man or woman, there is also the fear of judgment after death. It is still there. And if that fear is not there, it should be there. What if Jesus is right? What if the first Christians are right? What if countless men and women of God who through the centuries are right? What if when I die, I stand before God who will judge me, not just on what I do or say, but on what I didn't do or didn't say, even on what I thought or dreamt? What if there is a God who can look into my innermost being and judge me on exactly who I really am? And what if there is a hell? And because of our fear of death, we mock when people speak of judgment. And in that place, we make up fairy stories about life after death. We're all going to be all right. We'll be with Granny, or we'll be a star, or we'll come back in another form. But I'm not sure we really believe those fairy tales. That's why I've got much more time for atheists or humanists who are prepared to face up to the reality of death. Bertrand Russell says, Brief and powerless is man's life. On him and all his race, the slow sure doom falls pitiless and dark. Blind to good and evil, reckless of destruction, omnipotent matter rolls on its relentless way. For man, condemned today to lose his dearest, tomorrow himself to pass through the gates of darkness, it remains only to cherish, ere yet the blow fall, the lofty thoughts that ennoble his little day to worship at the shrine his own hands have built. The danger is that that kind of talk will lead to the philosophy, eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow you die. And if you crush other people in your eating and drinking, it doesn't really matter. In fact, evolution favours the strong who eat the weak. Most of us, of course, are not prepared to go that far. We live with our fairy tales in denial land. And when those who are close to us die, we wrap death up in rituals. And we avoid the talk of death. We don't have chapels of the dead. We have chapels of rest. The fear of death is an incredibly powerful, motivating force. But please, don't be too depressed. <laughs> Secondly, Jesus has destroyed the fear of death. He did it by becoming exactly like us. He destroys the fear of death by showing us that we need never fear what comes after death. These verses speak of the astonishing mercy of God. Jesus, this exact representation of God's being, who was also, that's what we're told in Hebrews 1, was also made like us in every way. And he made a once and for all offering, atonement for the sins of the people. It's sacrifice language. In the Old Testament times, a lamb would be brought into the temple. Hands would be laid on it. People identified themselves with the lamb. And then the lamb was killed. 
in place of the people who laid their hands on it. They recognise that their sin, their rebellion against God, their disobedience, their pride deserved death. But the Lamb was to die in their place. And now God provides the perfect Lamb, the final sacrifice, and Jesus died for us. And all who lay their hands on Jesus, the Bible says we do that actually through baptism and through faith, trusting him and turning to him then we identify ourselves with him and we recognize our sin, our rebellion against God, our disobedience, lack of love, self-centeredness and pride deserve death. But we identify with him and he identifies with us and his death on the cross is our death. His death covers us. So although we deserve condemnation, we do not need to fear the judgment because it's already fallen on him. And he destroys, secondly, the fear of death by rising from the dead. These verses don't actually speak of that, but the book of Hebrews does. And the resurrection is no fairy tale. It's based on a historical event. Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to his followers. He talked with them, ate with them, gave them instructions. And one day he said he will return and the dead will be raised and he will gather his people to be one. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And we're called to hold on to his promise that there's life after death. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, should not perish but have everlasting life. And it's these promises that have released men and women of God to live, to live radical world-shaking lives. I think of the desert fathers and mothers. They lived lives of stark renunciation. But they were gripped by two things, a sense of their own sinfulness and a desire for God and for heaven. Or I think of the men and women who went as missionaries to East Africa or India 200 years ago. They set sail with their possessions packed in coffins because they were almost certain that they would die before they returned. Many of them died even on the journey. We might think this stuff is for fanatics, but Martin Luther wrote on these verses, he said, he who fears death or is unwilling to die is not a Christian to a sufficient degree. For those who fear death still lack faith in the resurrection, since they love this life more than they love the life to come. He who does not die willingly should not be called a Christian. And that really leads me on to the third point. Jesus is there when we're tempted to give in to the fear of death. We are gripped far more by the fear of death than we think that we are. Our lives would be transformed if we really believe that because of Jesus, God's new heaven and earth is our final destiny. And while as Christians we may fear the process of dying, Jesus, after all, would far prefer not to go through with the cross. One of the gifts and promises that God offers to give to believers is freedom from the fear of death. One of the people I was talking to last week told me how when she was gripped with this fear of death, God came and met with her. 
Another person I was speaking to last week, a young father who is facing a serious life-threatening illness, has looked death straight in the face and was able to say in all honesty that although he prayed God would heal him, in the end it was up to God and he actually was not afraid of death because he could see through it to what comes next. He told me how on three occasions already he has been come to the limit of what he could bear and he has cried out to Jesus and on each occasion Jesus has met him. But we're human. The word of God tells us death is not the end. Our experience tells us it is the end. And we trust that more than the word of God. And maybe for some of us here, it's a bit more than an under-the-surface fear. There is an all-consuming fear of death. And it does paralyze us. And the offer of these verses is that we can turn to Jesus, who was just like us. He overcame that fear. And he can help us to overcome the fear. Jesus lived with the presence of death all his life. Remember, Herod wanted to kill him as a baby. And Jesus knew he had to die. On three occasions, he tells his disciples that he's got to die. On one occasion, Peter takes him aside and says, Lord, that's not for you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because it's the devil telling him, you surrender to the fear of death, Jesus And as Jesus hangs on the cross and he cries out, it is finished, I suspect that at least part of the cry is saying, I did it, I didn't give way to the fear of death, not even when I was facing torture and crucifixion. I was obedient to you, my Father. I was obedient to the very end. Turn to him. Ask him to help you and keep your eyes on him. Think of it like a young boy playing in a park. There's a door into a walled garden. The child has been told that through that door there is a world full of shadows, ghosts and demons. The child will not go even near the door. He avoids anything to do with the door. He even pretends that it doesn't exist. But one day his older brother learns of the younger brother's fear. He takes him with him to that door. And then he walks through the door. He disappears from sight. The younger brother thinks, everything that I've been told is true. My brother has gone. But his brother hasn't gone. He returns and he tells of an amazing garden through that door where there are no ghosts, shadows or demons. And he takes his younger brother by the hand and leads him through the door. Do not give in to the temptation to pretend the door does not exist. Do not allow your fear of death to control your life. Jesus is our older brother. He's the one who's gone ahead of us. And if we cry out to him as we die, he will be beside us. And if we cry out to him when we face judgment, he will be the one with us. And as we walk into paradise... He will be the one who is waiting there for us. May God give us grace through his Holy Spirit to walk in the light of the one who has conquered death, who has conquered the devil, and who has conquered the fear of death. Amen.